Good. Well, let's uh, go to God in prayer then this morning. Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful to be in this place this morning, gathered to worship you. And as we do, we are aware that there are folks stepping into roles in churches all over the place for the very first time this morning. We lift those congregations to you. We lift those pastors, those lay supply to you. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, and we just pray that the congregations would support them, that they would grow to know and love one another uh, and support each other and work well as a team in the coming weeks and months. We thank you for this church. I thank you for the opportunity to serve grace for another year. Uh, We are so honored and privileged to be in this place, and I thank you for this congregation. Bless them and keep them. Lord, we're aware that as we uh, head into this holiday week, as we take Tuesday off to celebrate uh, our country and our freedoms, we look back on the week that we just had, and and there's there's some places in which we were still uh, bound to our sinful ways. Even though we celebrate freedom, we still live as though we are bound in many ways. And so we just want to pause for a second and recall those things in our minds, confess them to you, and give them to you. And we trust that when we do that, that you are faithful to forgive us of our sins and to remove them as far as the east is from the west and to never recall them anymore. And so we just want to pause as we confess these things to you. Lord, thank you for hearing these confessions. Thank you for your forgiveness, second chances, third chances, fourth chances. Thank you for your love. Now that we have nothing that stands in our way from experiencing whatever it is that you want to say to us today, we also want to lift up folks that we are deeply concerned about this morning because even amongst our own right here in this congregation, we have so many that are not here this morning because of illness, because of recent surgery, pain, all kinds of things that are keeping people away. And so we want to lift them to you, our family members, our friends, people that we know who are going through difficult times. We're going to call out their names to you now, and we ask that in your mercy you hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Clifford Hines, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 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 Our new DS, Kip Giltz. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lift up folks that have upcoming doctor's appointments, awaiting news, upcoming procedures, hoping to relieve pain. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I lift up anyone who is responding on Facebook right now. I don't see those requests, but Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And any unspoken requests, Lord, you know what they are. You search our hearts. You know us better than we know ourselves. And Holy Spirit, you intercede for us when we don't even know how to articulate our prayers. We thank you for that kind of love, that kind of concern. We trust that this morning, that you are working for the good. You are working on our behalf and on behalf of those whom we love deeply and you love as well. Lord, as we continue in worship this morning, we pray that you would receive all the glory and honor. We pray that we would see you this morning, that we would hear you, feel you, that we would walk away from this place a changed people ready to go out into the mission field once again this week. We pray all of this in your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We are going to turn to the scriptures this morning. We are looking at Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. Listen now for a word from the Lord. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where's your wife Sarah? And he said, There in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a son now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh, yes, you did laugh. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen and amen. I tried to find this quote. I, I couldn't find it anywhere, but I have heard it said. Hey, uh, Ken, I'm ringing a little bit. Let freedom ring and my voice too. Um, I've heard it said some, something along the lines that if, if you have troubles, if you have woes, things going on in your life, there's no better remedy for that than to turn your attention to the needs of others. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I couldn't find a specific quote, but I've heard that said before. You know, we're talking about Abraham this morning. Few people, I think, would argue that Abraham didn't have troubles at this point in his story. Do you know why? Let me tell you why. At the ripe old age of 99, God appeared to Abraham and said, I want to enter into a covenant with you. That part was good. But then God said, and the sign that you are in this covenant with me, that we are in covenant together, I want you and every male in your household to be circumcised. And so at 99... Abraham went out and found the sharpest rock that he could find and went to work. Folks, I'm glad that the sign of the new covenant is baptism, (laughs) not sharp rock circumcision. If that wasn't bad enough, the next part of the story, we find Abraham in the heat of the day, unusually hot, maybe a lot like Texas, in Canaan, sitting there at the entrance to his tent, nursing his wounds, trying to catch a breeze, maybe to blow into the tent. And all of a sudden, he looks up, and three strange travelers are walking his way. Now, I don't know if Abraham heard that quote that the best way to take your mind off of your troubles is to turn to the attention of others' needs. Whatever it was, though, the way that he responded to these three guys really became the standard for the way that God's people have treated guests and visitors ever since. We read, Abraham jumps up from the entrance to his tent, runs to meet them, bows low to the ground, identifies himself as their servant for the day, washed their feet, made a meal of bread and roast beef and cottage cheese and milk, and then stood and served them while they ate. We have a word for this kind of treatment. Do you know what it is? Hospitality. I was thinking about all the different words, and I did not study this. I didn't dig into this, but all the words that kind of are linked to that term of hospitality. Hospital, obviously, hospice, anything with that, this idea that you uh, try to meet people where they are and make them comfortable, as comfortable as they can be. Hospitality comes from the Greek word philoxenia. Philo, meaning friend, Philadelphia, right? The the city of brotherly love. It's, It's friend or love of friend. And then xenia or xeno, stranger. So Philoxenia is a friend of the stranger. This is a deeply biblical concept. 
that I think, as far as I can tell, really the first image that we get of this kind of treatment is with Abraham sitting at the entrance to his tent and jumping up and taking care of these men. But it, then it just continues. From Abraham on, we see it. Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, that this is how God's covenant people treat the stranger, the outsider. Makes them feel welcome, safe, cared for, as comfortable as can be in the heat of the day or whatever situation they're in. I, I was going through my seminary books, you know, because hospitality is something that uh, we had several classes on, actually. Uh, and I came across this one. Now, Anita, you're, you're going to want to buy the book, probably. This is Henry Nouwen. Anybody know Henry Nouwen? Famous. Uh, he's a Catholic priest, uh, one of the most leading authorities on spiritual practices. If you want to grow closer to God, uh, he could tell you about spiritual practices, one of which is hospitality. And this is what he says. He says, uh, if there is, I think we have a slide there. Oh, good. If there's any concept worth restoring to its original depth and evocative potential, it is the concept of hospitality. It is one of the richest biblical terms that can deepen and broaden our insight in our relationships to our fellow human beings. Old and New Testament stories not only show how serious our obligation is to welcome the stranger in our home and wherever we find the stranger, uh, but they also tell us that guests are carrying precious gifts with them, which they are eager to reveal to a receptive host. There is not a biblical concept, Henry Nouwen says, worth restoring more than the concept of hospitality. We need to look at this seriously. As Abraham would soon learn in this story, what turned out to be, he thought, just three ordinary guys, this turned out to be a divine visit, right? We know right off the bat because it says the Lord came to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre, but he doesn't know that yet. It's not until he gets into the conversations that he's having with them that he realizes Oh my gosh, this is God and angels, and they come bearing gifts. A good word about my wife, Sarah, and what is to come. Many people think that this passage uh, directly influenced the writer of Hebrews. Now, this is Hebrews 13.2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. This week in our various gatherings, we talked about, um, have you ever had a moment that you looked back and said, I, I, I think I might have been in the presence of some kind of angelic traveler in this moment. Some moment that you had some kind of connection, some kind of hospitality was shown, and then later that person disappeared or whatever, and you said, was that an angel? The writer of Hebrews says, make sure you show hospitality to strangers because you never, never know who it is that has come to you. You know, Jesus thought that hospitality was extremely important. In fact, he says that final judgment will actually factor in how well we practice hospitality. You remember that story that he told? When I was in prison, you came to visit me. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was cold, you clothed me. And the people said, when did we do that? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it also to me. 
And the same is likewise for the other side of that. When I was hungry, you did not feed me. Well, when did we not feed you, Jesus, when you failed to do it to the least of these? Hospitality, Jesus says, is very important. And Jesus puts his money where his mouth is because in the Gospel of John, in the upper room, on the night before he is betrayed into the hands of the Gentiles, he washes the feet of the disciples, just like Abraham washed the feet of these three travelers. You see how this Abraham thing just kind of carries through? It's a thread, this hospitality thread that weaves its way through Old Testament and New Testament. And then Jesus told them after he washed his feet, I want you to do what I've just done for you. And then in John 13, 20, very truly I tell you, whoever receives one whom I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. I don't know about you, but the way I read that, that implies that visitors who come to us, whether at our homes or out and about or the doors of our church, visitors who come to us are not only sent to us by Jesus, but to receive them graciously is to receive the Lord himself. It's equal. Whether that person is Jesus in some kind of hidden form or Jesus says, the least of these is me. Somehow, some way, it's connected and it matters deeply. Hospitality is extremely, extremely important both now and into eternal life. Hospitality is important. But that's kind of hard to do in 2023, isn't it? You just turn on the news and you can see the stranger we suspect that strangers might be up to no good. We don't really trust them. Social media paints a bleak picture. We think that certain places and certain parts of the world you would not want to go to because the stranger is danger there. Stranger danger is what we teach our kids. If you don't know them, run away screaming, right? So instead of practicing philoxenia, we actually practice xenophobia. You know what that is? Xeno, stranger, phobia, fear. Fear of the stranger. Not friend of the stranger, fear of the stranger. My mama told me, don't trust strangers. Don't get into their cars. Don't accept anything from them. We tell our kids on social media, don't friend anybody you don't know on social media. They're going to lure you. Strangers are bad. Stay away from them. Henry Nouwen again says this. He says, In our world, the assumption is that strangers are a potential danger and that it is up to them to disprove it. you got to prove to me that you're not a danger. When we travel, we keep a careful eye on our luggage. When we walk the streets, we are aware of where we keep our money. And when we walk at night in a dark park, our whole body is tense with fear of an attack. Our heart might desire to help others, to feed the hungry, visit the prisoners, and offer a shelter to travelers. But meanwhile, we have surrounded ourselves with a wall of fear and hostile feelings, instinctively avoiding people and places where we might be reminded of our good intentions. Do you think that's true? I think that's true. Our hearts are in the right place. We know what the Bible says. We know what Jesus told us to do, and yet we distrust the stranger. 
until you prove to me that I can trust you, I'm hesitant to help you. You know, last week we talked about generosity and how being generous, the way that the Bible tells us we ought to be generous, actually comes with the possibility of being cheated. Right? To be generous is to place yourself in a position where somebody could cheat you out of your hard-earned money or whatever it is that you're giving. People can deceive you. And we saw Ananias and Sapphira, how God kind of weeded that out from among them. You just do what you're told, and I'll take care of the rest. And God kind of weeds out this old way of thinking and buries it. The new way is the way that reigns, and it buries the old way of thinking. Well, you know what? Hospitality comes with dangers, too. It does. Because showing true hospitality could lead you into keeping company with dangerous people. But guess what, folks? It doesn't let us off the hook. Just like generosity leading us to bad places doesn't let us off the hook, showing true hospitality doesn't let us off the hook just because we could find ourselves with some dangerous people. Because God's people have always operated with a different mindset. Have always operated. We are a peculiar people. This is the whole thing about generosity and hospitality. Them folks are strange. They do things that normal people don't do. And what we find is that God's people practicing generosity and hospitality, well, that attracts some people that just want to know more about it, and it repels some people. We saw that last week. Some people dared not join themselves to them because they are just too generous. But other people said, i got to know more about this Jesus guy that leads you to live in this peculiar way. Hospitality and generosity means you have to live strangely. And, that, and that, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? We're called to welcome the stranger and live as strangers in the world, which is really what 1 Peter and, and several other writers of the New Testament kind of said. This is why you ought to show kindness to the stranger, because you all are strangers on the world. You are aliens. You're different. You're peculiar. You know, on Monday during Breakfast Club, by the way, tomorrow Breakfast Club at Jocelyn's, 9 o'clock, great discussion. Come and contribute. See, some of the stuff that you all say ends up in my sermons, right? We talked about the difference between salesmanship and hospitality. The difference between those two things. Now, when, when a salesman uh, tries to woo you into buying whatever it is he's selling, he's going to use hospitality up front, right? Because hospita- people like hospitality. And so they try to mask the true intention with hospitality. Think about this. You go to a hotel, uh, one that preferably says, hey, we have an indoor pool that's heated. And we have a hot breakfast. Not just a continental breakfast, we have a hot breakfast. Come to our hotel. Think about the grocery stores that say, hey, our baggers go the extra mile. They will help carry your groceries to your car, no extra charge. Right? Now, is that because the grocery store loves you and wants to show you hospitality? No. They're trying to get your commitment. They want you to shop at their store. They want you to check into their hotel. 
They want your money. They use phrases like, our customer satisfaction is our number one priority. I, I, I call BS on that. That's not really true. Number one priority is customer involvement and cash flow. Because without that, there is no business. So customer satisfaction, sure, that's important, but only to achieve the number one goal. That salesmanship, hospitality on the other hand though, true, authentic hospitality is attending to the needs of another because God's been good to us. Plain and simple. We recognize in which the ways in which God has been hospitable to us and shown us kindness as strangers and aliens on the earth. And so we treat others that same way. No strings attached. Nothing else attached to that. No agenda. Salesmen use hospitality to get the sale. True hospitality is free to serve just because God has blessed us. God has blessed us to be a blessing. And guess what, people? Folks can smell the difference. Folks can smell the difference. So many churches show hospitality not because they are blessing people because they've been blessed, because they want you to join the church. They need your tithe to keep the lights on. We've got this building project. We've got to finish that. Let's show hospitality so maybe we can get people to help pay for that. People can smell that. They know it. They know it. True, authentic hospitality. Something very different. Henry Nouwen, so smart. I'm just going to read him today. Hospitality, therefore, means primarily the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It is not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom not disturbed by dividing lines. That's biblical hospitality. I'm not doing this to try to get you to respond in some kind of way. I'm just breaking down dividing lines. I'm creating a safe space for you. Now, maybe change will happen in this place. Maybe transformation, but that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because God has broken down the dividing lines in my life, and I'm called to do the same for you. And so I'm inviting you in, stranger, into this place, moving, as, as now and says, from hostility to hospitality, or from suspicion to sympathy, tearing down dividing lines. Folks, this is exactly what Jesus was trying to offer Zacchaeus when he called him out of that tree. Look, I know you're not very well liked in this place, but I want to hang out with you. Why? Because, because I, I, I want you to stop being a tax collector? No, I'm not asking for anything from you. I just want to live differently than these folks are treating you. So come out of the tree. Let's hang out today, Zacchaeus. That's hospitality. And biblical hospitality is not just good for the stranger. It doesn't just provide a place for them to be comfortable and to begin to tear down dividing lines. It's also good for the host 
as we see in Abraham's story. Abraham found out that a blessing was coming with this. He wasn't blessed because he showed hospitality. Because he showed hospitality, the blessing was there and available for him. Your wife is going to have a son, and he's going to become the father of a great nation. Nothing is too wonderful for the Lord. Benedictine nun. I'm, I'm quoting all the Catholics today. Joan Chittister says, Hospitality is the key to new ideas, new friends, new possibilities. What we take into our lives changes us. Without new people and new ideas, we are imprisoned inside of ourselves. Folks, I'm trying to lay out a pathway here because I think we're at this critical moment in the life of our church that we can be imprisoned within ourselves and as we get older and as we begin to dwindle, that kind of locked prison, locked from within inside, gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it's time to lock the doors for good and cut off the lights, and that's it. Or we can fling open the doors to that self-made prison and say to the stranger, this is a safe place for you. How can you bless us today? As we bless you, what can you teach us today about ourselves, about how we need to grow and move and change and become better at being the hands and feet of Jesus in Palestine and beyond? If we want to grow at grace, we must receive our guests like family members, the family members you like. I thought about that later. Some people might go... I have some family members I don't like so much. The ones you like. Receiving guests like those. Not just so that we can break down their fears and their assumptions about the church, although that is what we're trying to do. We want them to know this church is different. But so that we can learn from them, so we can expand our knowledge and insight into the needs of the community. We don't want to just offer things because it seems right to us, we want to actually hear from those on the outside. How can we bless you? How can we serve you? How can we be better at being the church? We have to invite the stranger in to know that. So last week, we identified generosity as a core value. Legend, show us this slide. You'll see this in the the narthex now. I'm replacing these one week at a time. Give generously. Not just your money, though. Also your time, your prayers. Whatever it is that you have to offer, offer it generously. And without any hesitation, as as, uh, Paul told us last week, do it as a cheerful giver, right? This week, we find that reception is the key. Receive guests like family. Now, what does that mean practically for us moving forward? Well, for one thing, I, wanna, I want to recapture this thing we used to do, welcome home. Welcome home. When somebody comes to that door that is a guest, we were trained before. We knew, this church knew, welcome home. You are exactly what this church has been missing. Me? Me? Yes, you. You. 
Bila gave me a, a, a where's Bila? Bila gave me a, 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 a church directory from 1996. On the church directory uh, was printed Grace Church, the church with the warm heart on every page. There was a note from the pastors that I have never been in a church more warm than Grace Church. I've never met a stranger. We all love each other. We welcome people in. That, that is the, this is not something new that I'm preaching here, right? This is in the DNA of Grace Church. It has always been the warm church, the church with the warm heart. We have always said, welcome home. We need to get back to that. Ken Sides is out shopping for a, a welcome mat for me. I want to put a welcome mat outside that says, welcome home when you come in. Okay? We're going to put that out there. I want you all to start saying that. Welcome home and mean it. Not just something that we say to check off a box. Well, I said it. No, mean it. Welcome home. You're exactly the person we need at this place. Introduce yourself. Talk to them. Don't be shy. Shake their hand. Ask good questions. Listen to their answers. Find out what their questions are. Show them where the restrooms are. Offer them a donut and coffee. Bring it to them. How do you like your coffee? Let me fix it for you. Right? This is, these are simple ways to show hospitality, not because we have an agenda, not because we want them to help pay off the building, but because God has been hospitable to us. We want to show the same kind of hospitality to the stranger. Even if you don't stick around, even if you decide a different church is going to be your church home, while you're here, you're family. Is that the Olive Garden? When you're here, you're family, right? Breadsticks? When you're here with us, at least for this Sunday, you're family, and we're so glad you're here. And we mean it. Reserve parking spots for them. Let's save the best spots for up front for them. Reserve seats for them. Look at this. Look at this. Now, why are there no people in the front row? Because we're Methodists, right? Let me tell you, nobody likes to sit in the front row. So what do we do? What do we do? We scoot up so that the more comfortable seats for a guest, think about a guest coming in here the first time. We all know each other. But a guest coming in for the first time, there's no other seat left but the front row. Mm, I don't want to sit there, right? We have to think about those types of things. What it's like to go into a place for the very first time where you don't know anybody you don't know anything about the church. Maybe you have been out of church for so long and you're taking a risk because you've just had this nagging feeling, I need to get back into church and I'm going to try this one first. Right? We have to think about those things as they come in, that we welcome them graciously, serve them, go above and beyond. And to do this all without the salesman's fragrance because they will smell it. They'll know if there's some kind of hidden agenda. We're just going to do this because it's the right thing to do. We're going to create a safe space. This is my hope for us. I believe this is the second core value, a strategic value, that if we take this up wholeheartedly, just like generosity, if we begin to get back to who we are as hospitable people, It'll begin to make a difference. People will glimpse Jesus here. 
just like Zacchaeus climbed up in the tree because he wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus. I think if we are hospitable, they'll glimpse Jesus here. Amen. Thank you, band. By the way, these folks are super generous. Not only are they here every Sunday, but every Thursday night they come up to rehearse this music. None of them are getting paid for it. That's generosity. Thank you guys for being so generous. Thank you. Um, will you grab the hand of the person next to you? And as we go from this place, I hope that you have a wonderful 4th of July celebration. I pray for safety for all of you, that you have really good food and good family and friend time. Uh, the office will be closed on Tuesday, so we'll be doing the same thing with our family. Um, but until we gather again next time, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you're perfectly loved, you're completely forgiven, and you're uniquely empowered. And now you're called to go out into the world and live as God's faithful children. As you do that, you're probably going to make some mistakes this week, because we all do. But I also need you to know that there's nothing you can do that would change the way God feels about you, because God's love for us is not based on our performance. It's rooted in His very nature. God is love, First John tells us. So that by that amazing grace, when God looks at us, He says, y'all, you don't know how much I love you. You are nothing but the best of the best of the best. And if you can believe that about yourself, it'll begin to flow outward to your neighbor, that you'll see them as the best of the best of the best, and you'll begin to welcome them. And moving from hostility to hospitality, they will say, these are peculiar people indeed, has the power to change the world. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please take that good word and go from this place in peace. Amen.